one of 200. The New Zealand International Politics Podcast. Uh, That voice was David Slack, who is joining us today to talk about media, Um, alternative media platforms, uh, the state of the media, uh, where do we go next? What is he doing now? Uh, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. <laughs> now I'll say nice to be here. Sorry, I thought you were, <laughs> thought you were addressing me. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, um, you know, media, it's fluid. We can do whatever we want. Um, well, that's true. Yep. Make it up as you go along. Yeah, so you've been uh, working via Substack now for 12 months-ish? Yeah, coming up the beginning of August is when I really um, got, got going. Yeah, how's it treating you? It's been really good. I um, kind of mucked around for a little bit um, for a a little while trying to figure out how I might do this on my own because I'd been this way before with public address where I had written for free um, and used my speeches website to make a living. But this time around, the calculation was a bit different. The, uh, The speeches website needs reviving. And what I had in mind was getting that going again and putting the writing on there and charging for that. But at the time I was looking at that, Arthur Meek was recruiting New Zealand writers for Substack and he's very persuasive, Arthur. And so uh, I thought, oh, let's make this easy. I'll just just, um, do what he tells me and and, and sign up for the thing and, and play around with it. And so that's what I did. And it did look a whole lot more straightforward. You know, you don't have to worry about the back end and the billing and everything. And, and I had actually been through all of that with the speeches site before, so it wouldn't have been quite as much work. But it nonetheless is, you have all of these hassles um, with uh, security, and that's you know, 20 years on, a whole lot more challenging than it, than it was then, actually. I'd have probably ended up using Stripe anyway, which is what Stripe uses as the merchant uh, handler. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're taking care of all of the, the rest of the processing. And I did discover that too with um, speeches that taking care of people's subscriptions is can be a, a headache, you know, especially if they ring at three of the goddamn and so it's nice to have that bit separated and just concentrate on the writing. And it's a nice, mo- it's, it's a very deliberate model that Substack chose. You know, you just do the writing, we'll take care of the rest. Yeah. And, and it does work nicely. And it's, a, it's presented nicely. I, I, I like the, the design ethos of the thing. It, it, it looks good. And it's nice to, to work with. And that just leaves you the small question of what's the content? <laughs> and, you know, I had a model for that too in the way that I'd been blogging once upon a time, and I, I thought about I would do that again. But what was happening in August, at the beginning of August last year, you'll recall, was you know we were only a couple of months into, well, no, three, four months into the pandemic, and oh, my time's all right out, isn't it? By that time, we were eight months into it. Anyway, um, everyone's we time is out. The- everyone's time is out about that all the time. Um, <laughs> but- all you've done is show on your humanity by making that mistake. Yeah, true, true. Um, and, and the bewilderment that, <laughs> that endures. But what it felt like was that everything was coming at once. Oh, actually, yeah, when I think about it, it was as much the election that was going on as the, uh, the pandemic. So, so you had this combination of all kinds of crazy shit happening in the election, hour by hour, 
plus the uh, the one o'clock briefings, yeah. and I looked at, all, at this absolute blizzard of stuff came at, coming at you and thought the best way to handle this is just to write a, a, a diary of it as it happens, you know, almost like life blogging. And so I just hit on this format of making it a daily diary. 80703, ask Siri to start morning report. 723, <laughs> pop-up leader is on with Susie Ferguson getting absolutely dealt to. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the ease of that proved to be very agreeable you know you you throw a bit here you throw a bit there you just um this is actually ca capturing the sense of the day and so i started doing it that way and that kind of suggested well you should probably do it each day and so suddenly i'm writing one every single day and people were saying how the hell are you keeping up with that and the answer was it wasn't that hard because the format kind of gives you a break it's just this bit here this bit here and this conceit of unfolding day it doesn't actually necessarily run that you're writing as it happens through the day um, but you're grabbing those elements and turning them into this kind of um, picture of the days we are living through and people liked it people really liked it and um, so the, the subscriptions the, the free subscriptions piled on and that was very reassuring because what they told you was if you can get the uh, free subscriptions, you can then expect 10% of the, no, sorry, 5% of them to convert to paid subscriptions. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I need to get a shitload of these free ones. <laughs> so, so I'm working hard and promoting the bejesus out of it on um, uh, Twitter. And they keep signing up and they keep, enjoying it and the feedback is good so after about two months of that i um, say right i'm thinking about asking um, for people to take a paid subscription who feels up to that and i got nice feedback that suggests that it would it would go uh so i m proposed okay from now on it'll be a free newsletter twice a week and it'll be a, a paid one five days a week plus uh, a sunday column just like the old days in the Sunday Star Times. Subscriptions open, click here. And God bless them, they did. Um, not in vast numbers, but, but several hundreds. And that was a nice start. And after that, it's just sort of steadily kept building, a, you know, a, a bunch each week. And my whole concept of this, my perception of this now is, God, this is just like that essay years ago, A Thousand True Fans, you know. If you have a following who like what you do, whether it's art or music or drama or whatever, if they really like it, they will pay for whatever stuff um, you make available for them and they will be there to support you. And that's kind of how this has turned out, you know. You, you, you've got these people who jump in straight away and then more who come along and it, it, it's not enough to make a living on yet, but it's pretty close. And uh, I can see that, it's going to keep building. And so I'm just plugging away at it, knowing that, you know, in a, a year from now, it'll be the same amount of work, but it'll be a sufficient number of subscribers to make it absolutely worth my, my time. And I won't have to be doing other work for other people, which I really like, because they, which means I can do a better job of this. Yeah. You know, I, I think it kind of bears out what they said, them, said about the model that, you know, that this is, an opportunity for many people to get their um, 
get paid for what they do because to track back to that thousand true fans proposition there's a lot of groups of a thousand or two thousand or three thousand people in the world to be shared around you know and that's notionally a proposition for a great many people to be paid for their work yeah. um, and and i say one or two or three thousand but then of course you've got big names who've come into substack and they've got or, you know just like that seth abramson for example has tens of thousands of people signing up and i don't know how likely that's going to be for a lot of people but you know i, I think there's there's a huge elasticity in the whole thing and um what i do know is it's working for me and and i'm really really pleased about it because i've got a lot more latitude in what i do here than i had when i was writing columns for stuff yeah uh, i think that's one of the really Interesting things, I guess, is it doesn't only remove administrative barriers, you know, to just, uh, mm. but both the, the content creator um, and the audience in, in terms of accessing it, but also removes, I don't know if ideological is, is the right term or systemic barriers that mm-hmm. seem to be actively working on our, our journalists, our reporters, our writers uh, in, in standard media. I think that's true. I think there's there's a certain hazard of self-censorship with subscribers also in the sense that you get to know what they like and you realise that they don't like this. <laughs> so you may not go there. Um, you don't have to do that. You you should actively fight against it, of course. But I think it, 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 it it's a hazard. But I think it's less of a hazard than any kind of, and I take it that's what you're saying, that kind of implicit uh, boundaries of certain commercial media and i was conscious of that with stuff i'm not i mean to say that i was reining myself in but you did know there was only so far you go in certain areas i think and it was always frustrating that i would get uh, all my cussing asterisked out (laughs) (laughs) sometimes the best word to express your opinion is fuck you know and nothing else will do um, and it was also frustrating having labels at the top and the bottom saying, this is satire. <laughs> <laughs> it is so humiliating. It's something really valuable. But having been, again, from an access perspective, being able to access that kind of unfiltered right. writing as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. not, not just from the author's side, where, where you're feeling frustrated, like, can you stop doing this? Um, yeah. But being able to read something and saying, hey, this is, is actually what I think as well. Um, well, yeah, um, you've touched on something else there that is self-protection from defamation action. I've, I've, I've carried that with me wherever I go and continue to. You know, you, um, you have to be sensible about this. But you certainly can express stronger opinions and share things you might, might have hesitated to share elsewhere. And for people who have particular knowledge of particular inside activity that's full of potential on a, on a platform like Substack, you know, I just, wonder, have, uh, ah, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to just suddenly, suddenly jump in here. Just, I, I appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just wonder, you know, with, with what you guys are talking about there, like how much of it is about establishing a, a strong brand early on? I hate to use the word brand, you know, everyone's a brand now we're all brands, but, but you know, the whole, 
if you kind of let people know from the beginning, hey, this is the kind of thing you're likely to see here, some of it you may disagree with, some of it you may vehemently disagree with, and other stuff, maybe the vast majority of it you like, and you know, therefore you sort of know what you're getting, and that maybe by building that in early, people kind of, every now and then they'll say, well, I don't really like that column, or I, I, you know, I, I thought that was wrong, but they kind of go, well, but you know, I, I know that this is kind of what, what I was going to expect, and so I'm going to stick with it. Whereas like, like, I feel like that's when you look at some of the big Substack names, there's a lot of controversy. People, mm -hmm. you know, like Matt Taibbi will write something and people mm -hmm. will just erupt in outrage. But at the end of the day, I mean, his subscribers stay pretty, pretty steady because for right. a lot of people, they're kind of like, they, they want that stuff, right? They want to see it. the stuff that no one else will say. Yeah, 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 that, that is true. And the, um, the whole model is that you begin, um, with open access and let people get to know you before you put out the, the cup for subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it's very, it, it's much less likely anybody's going to handing out, be handing over dough to be, a, <laughs> to be disappointed or, <laughs> or presented with something that really gets up their nose. But I, I'm not sure if you heard me saying that I, I, uh, I'm, I'm mindful and, and you know, it is a hazard with Substack that you, you just start preaching to the choir and, and, mm. and, and indulge and, and you don't want to be doing that. Um, and there is, I've forgotten her name, but there is one Substack writer who makes a point of making a, a response, a, a actual posts of response available for people who vehemently disagree with her to sort of keep her honest, which is admirable. Yeah, not sure about I'm, it. I'm not <laughs> exhausted. Just, 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 just for the record, there's no fucking way I'm inviting Cameron Slater to take <laughs> to express his opinion on my side anyway. <laughs> I wonder, like, do you have thoughts on uh, the, prom the promotional aspect? Because I know whenever I, if I try and look for an article, uh, say that I've seen some time back, I will obviously go to Google and I'll, you know, type in roughly what it's about or, or the titles I remember. It. But I've noticed with Substack, it seems like the Google algorithm kind of de-emphasizes Substack. Like you right. really have to seek out the specific Substack you're looking for and then go from there. And so like with, with that potentially closed out, like what, what other things can you do to, to get your work out there, to get people to know that, that you are producing something on that? Yeah, um, I'm actually working on this right now. Um, I, I was saying before that I... I my initial intention had been to revive my speeches website and put everything there and, and, and charge for uh, writing there, but then I took on Substack. And, and my thinking has evolved from that to revive the speeches site anyway, because that, that's a plan. Uh, but in doing that, to put um, a kind of a monthly catalogue of all of the content there so that it's got a chance of being um, uh, catalogued by Google in a second place, in a way where it's much more accessible. Now, there's a limitation to that because it's paywalled and much of it is paywalled, but I, I can float a little bit out of every single paywalled piece in, when I do that uh, directory and make it much more browsable, I'm thinking by month, a bit like Tumblr, really, um, because the search function in Substack is not great um, and, and the browse function is pretty rudimentary too. So it's great, you know, it's made for newsletters. So as the newsletter function, it's terrific. But as a web browsing proposition, it's it's inferior. So um, that's a long way of saying, I, I expect I can get more visibility by doing that so that I've got more recognition on Google. 
and then I would imagine I would be using social media to plug aspects of that as well. Um, yeah. Tags in there too, perhaps, I think. Um, so it's so much you can experiment with. It's it's not you know necessarily that Substack Substack have got anything wrong so much as this is an experiment an exploration. It's only mm. what are three years in. There's a there's a there's a there's a lot to figure out about all of this. And and it, you know for any of us who've been in this in the last 10, 20 years, we've just been wringing our ha hands endlessly saying, "What's the model? What's the model that can work?" You know, because mm. <laughs> well, I mean, we ain't got it yet. Yeah, I, I remember uh, it was kind of shocking when, when Bernard Hickey, uh, I guess, resigned from Newsroom. I'm not, I'm not totally sure what happened, but you know, left Newsroom. Um, no, no, he, you know, neither do I, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, he, he wrote that message. Uh, I, th I think it was, uh, you know, it was a tweet or, or maybe it was in the, in the final thing he wrote and he said, you know, I, you know the, the, this just isn't a viable model for, for news All gathering, right. for news writing. Mm. Um, and it, I, I was kind of like, I mean, I, I felt very despondent looking at it because I thought yeah. Yeah, if he, if he's kind of giving up in this, but he, he seems like he's, he's also kind of found a home in Substack and, and been able to, to, to make it work. Yeah. So. I, I haven't actually spoken to him for a, a, a while. Uh, we were talking when he was looking at Substack, um, but I, I, I don't know how we haven't spoken for a good time now and I'm not quite sure how it's going for him, but he's certainly pumping them out and people are liking mm. it. So that would suggest to me it's working, it's working out for him. He is one person I've spent a lot of time with doing that aforementioned hand wringing over the last 20 years because, you know, there, there's an undeniable proposition that there's a huge, huge appetite for news and opinion, and that's never gone away, never will go away, and that ought to be able to translate into money, and yet it has become difficult because so much is made free. And, and I think um, also because of the way that the opinion pages in particular in, in New Zealand, probably, I think in New Zealand, it's a, it's a specific issue as well. They are ring fenced. Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. So, like you're more likely to have an MP or an ex MP get an opinion column than God. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, also um, helps a regular more, opinion column. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you've seen a whole a bunch of people. I was doing a thing the other day that was predicting that it was saying, you know, given their absolute fetishization of uh, Don Brash and Winston Peters, that the news, news hub will still be having them on News Hub Nation in 2050 via <laughs> seance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, well, it's just dismaying. <laughs> it is. And, you know, so you've seen people here in, in New Zealand kind of move towards a Substack model because, you know, well, for whatever reason, but you're also seeing more investigative journalists move into that as as well. I think did Ken Klippenstein move over to Substack Bronco? He did, right? Um, he, no, I think he's at the Intercept. But there's definitely people like I mean, Glenn Greenwald has a pretty big Substack, and he he kind of has like some space in his uh, Substack where he, he he will pay people to right. to to kind of do guest columns. And then I, the other one, uh, I mean, like the, the Daily Poster, which was started by David Sirota who used to be in, he's a journalist, he used to work for Bernie Sanders, for people who, who aren't familiar. And, um, and, and he, he does a lot of investigative stuff. I mean, that's really what the Daily Post does. They, they'll do opinion, but a lot of it is pretty hard hitting investigative stuff. So, you know, I mean, and, and they've done pretty well. So, you know, perhaps shows that that model can work. I mean, they've got a bit of a, a small newsroom um, that they've kind of mm -hmm. set up. So, yeah. 
It's a tough one. I mean, it's, it's, I guess we're in this, well, we've been in this transitionary period for a long time where we're kind of in the middle of this birth of whatever is going to come next. And we don't really know what it's going to look like, or how it's going to work or if it's going to work. And there's just all this kind of experimentation going on. And I guess on one hand, it's kind of exciting, but on the other, it's also kind of depressing when you <laughs> look yeah, at what's happening with newspapers. Yeah. And I, I, last time I was doing this with Kyle, I was bemoaning that you, you've got, a bunch of entrenched players here and I, I was saying that it felt a lot like farming did in 1984 you know where it's utterly unsustainable but until the, the the pin got pulled it was going to stay there um and then when you did you had all kinds of carnage but what came out of it in due course was a, a, was more viable farming mm. before they started killing our rivers but that's another story um, <laughs> um but you know i i think Conceivably, you 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 get rid of a lot of deadwood so that you have more room for entities that are basically a server and writers, and not all of that lumbering infrastructure of um, people in marketing and you know a, a, a huge beast that needs to feed itself. So it needs to have clickbait bullshit of the sort that produces stuff by. Mike Hosking and Kate Hawksby and Heather Flessy Allen, you know? I mean, that's mm. happening because you've got this stuffed model. Yeah, um, it's something that's really just been incredibly frustrating to me. And it's kind of a post-Trump, um, but COVID has really brought it into starker relief, is that the model directly feeds disinformation and misinformation. Yeah. And at the same time, you have uh, people in the media kind of going on about, oh, how do we stop it? How do we stop this on social media? How do we stop all this misinformation on social media? No, it's right. It's right here because you're, you're taking the stories that have good SEOs um, mm. from yeah. like AP or, or Reuters or whoever that you can put on your front page because you know it will get clicks and yeah. it says inject bleach, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's well, well, part that- of the problem. Did you see the, was it News Hub that did the uh, uh, piece about how uh, actually it's it's like offline networks that are now the sources of misinformation. So it's, you know, it's friends and family, which, you know, I mean, not, not surprising, but I just, what I loved loved about it is, well, you know, I mean, isn't, if we go by the logic that everyone's been applying, which is the internet has fake or or misinforming stuff on there. So we have to censor it. Well, isn't this uh, now like a cause to start like a secret police and like yeah. basically start regulating what people are saying in real life? I mean, if the misinformation mm-hmm. is coming, you know, from, from your friends and family. Yeah, just being uh, generated out of your, your personal identity, right? Like right. there's, no, there's yeah. no input. That's not, it's not coming from no, anywhere no, yeah, it's just It's just coming out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm, I'm starting to have anthropological thoughts here, you know, in other societies. <laughs> Did you, who was it? Was it the you know the shaman and the tohunga and you know who became the the arbiter of wisdom? Um, because mm. we didn't always have newspapers mm. to, that we, that had some kind of code of um, truth and accuracy that was uh, guiding this. Um, we I, still don't actually. You had the churches. <laughs> you had the Catholic mm. Church, buddy, yeah. <laughs> making the rules. This is actually an aspect of the contest of power in any society, really, isn't it? You know, mm. who decides what's true and, 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 mm. and who enforces uh, transgressions and lies um, or policing of it. And to, to Broco's point, you know, you, at the worst of it, you do get a secret police. But you, you maybe, I don't know, you may, you, 
you maybe look to better voices to emerge. Now I'm really going to lionize Substack. <laughs> but the, the strongest voice is just um, writing well enough that you take people with, the, with you. I don't know. I mean, that's you know, hopelessly romantic. But that somewhere along the line, if you do get the right person saying the right thing, it can take you a long way. Why do you think there's been so, or why there seems to have been so little reflection about why people have turned away from media in, in this way? Like, first of all, like, oh, everyone's getting the news from social media now. Okay, why is that? And, and, and so we, a media organization, can no longer uh, function. Um, and now, oh, everyone gets their disinformation or misinformation mm-hmm. from friends and family. Okay, but why is that? Well, a simple answer is dopamine. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know but, I mean, but why that, is the that, media not, not going, oh, yeah. wait a second, there's, there's obviously something broken here. Yeah, yeah. But, but if, if one entity, in this case social media, dis, uh, realizes, oh, you can harness this dopamine right. um, and, and goes nuts, then you are going to skew things, aren't you? Uh, it, it's perhaps less surprising that people are on Facebook a lot more of the day than they are reading stuff or watching the TV news for, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know, Branko, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's as good as... Uh, explanation as any um, I mean I think the other thing that, that we should keep in mind is that like a lot of the the stuff that people say about social media is, is not true sometimes it's, it's it's true or it's partially true and sometimes it's, it's exaggerated I mean there, there's studies that also show that social media is actually a lot better in terms of um, giving you a wider uh, range of views and wider range of like sources which makes sense I mean I think when I go on social media and if I, if I am looking for news, you know, I'll, I'll get a wide variety of things that will pop up on my feed. And I feel a lot more informed than if I was just to say, Turn on go Fox. on a stuff website. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or the website. I mean, it does sometimes feel to me like the complaints about, you know, whether it's Substack or podcasts or this and that, that they're the source of A, B or C, D bad thing. It does sometimes feel to me like it's it's these established institutions kind of circling the <laughs> circling the water, kind of being like, hey, 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 hold on, <laughs> you don't. This is our territory. Don't don't come in here. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This does not suit us. It's <laughs> <laughs> not actually the strongest of objections, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, we used to set the agenda. Wait, yeah. so you can't come in here and, and start yeah, yeah. start saying different yeah. things. I think the other thing you see is that there's this conflation around misinformation and disinformation as uh, coming through social media. So I think in just in the last couple of days, there was a, a report that people were quite upset about um, that people get most of the news from Facebook. Um, and like, if you include Instagram in there as well, it's like 40% um, of people get the main news sources, Facebook, but what, what are they reading on Facebook? And the, mm. the conflation is, Oh, we're just reading people's like posts, right? Like, but all of these media organizations are incredibly active on these platforms. And yeah, I would exactly. argue a lot of the stories that people are reading are, are things from established media organizations. They're not from kind of independent uh, revolutionaries um, or, you know, Russian deep state <laughs> actors for, yeah, for the true. most part. And, and for that matter, you know, I think there's, there, it, it's, it remains absolutely true that somebody getting a bloody good story um, is, is the very heart of journalism because you get a bloody good story. You will see it everywhere in all of those, those, those places you're just describing because everybody's fascinated to read it, you know. So do great reporting. Um, find, find people who've got something 
the, that uh, somebody powerful once concealed. You know, that's mm. uh, that's as as strong a proposition as it ever was. Uh, How do you think you take Substack as from, from this kind of newsletter? And we can get into some of the stuff we we're talking about just before we started the cast. Take from being this kind of individual newsletter thing and change it into something where you are actively holding uh, power to account through investigative journalism, similar to what something like the Daily Poster does. How do you, how do you move that? How do you? I suppose the, the killer proposition about Substack is that you've got a million potential players in this. And so, and they get encouraged to follow their, their particular to Branko's initial point about brand, find a thing that can describe very, very succinctly what you're about. Now, in doing that, that may focus your thinking as well. If I'm about this, then what am I going to find out um, under this banner? You know, where's that going to take me? And that arguably is a motivating and, and focusing uh, influence on what you do. I'm not sure if that addresses what you're asking exactly or not. I think it can be the, you know, that can be the initial thing, right? And you're like, okay, now I know yeah. where I'm going to take it. But I'm thinking more along the lines of you say, you know, for your own Substack, you know, seven mm. releases a week, right? right. Um, and six, if you, six. And then if you did want to move into doing some more investigative stuff, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you've built your, your brand or you've built your mm-hmm. audience out of this consistent output. How do you then pivot that? model into something that is yeah a, a more investigative model essentially yeah there is they have just developed this feature for for your substack where you can carve off a new entity and say here's this other thing i'm doing and i have been thinking about what I, how i might use that this is mostly a question of available time and uh, you know i'd like I was saying before, it's it, it's it's getting closer all the time to being uh, self-supporting, but for the moment, I still need to be doing other work too. Now, that really militates against having a lot of time to do the kinds of things we're talking about here, and the very fact that I'm doing a, a daily diary means that there's only so much time. I also, however, I do see latitude in there for starting to explore and investigate and and go after stuff. It's the whole thing. I, I just started writing and, and I just pounded the keyboard for a year. And I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm in some, some ways, I'm only just now getting perspective on what the hell this thing is and, 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 and how, to, how it works best in the day and how I produce it best. Um, this is getting a bit convoluted, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I can see possibilities and, and, I, and I, I'm very keen to go and, and do something substantial. I've just got to figure out how to fit it. That's my, it's, it's the concise answer. It's taken me three minutes to get to. Because I think it's still something that, you know, uh, mainstream or established news media or, or whatever you want to call it still has an advantage is they've got a newsroom, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, they've, got, they've got this infrastructure for yeah. if they wanted to. Notionally, <laughs> notionally know. they do. You yeah, know, that, that is the idea. They, they have resources. They have resources. Yeah, that's right. And so somebody like, say, Paul Penfold or, or David um, Fisher, in principle, has the latitude to go and do that kind of thing. But I think even then, there's a sort of expectation of output that maybe means you don't have three years to really run this thing down. Um, mm. Or you've got Mel Reid doing that marvellous work on, on Tamariki, and that's partly thanks to... Um, 
Yeah, am I right about this? I think NZINF funding. Oh, really? Which is, hmm. which is a nice, yeah. <laughs> nice proposition about the, the state still letting you go and investigate it. If I'm right about that. I'm yeah, sure and then, I'm but right. then also taking a lawsuit against her, right? Well, there's that also. <laughs> I, I guess that's the other thing that a large organization yeah, yeah. offers is, yeah, yeah. is protection yeah. in situations like that, uh, that yeah. you might not be able to so easily provide for yourself as, a, as an individual. That's yeah, right. Um, one, one thing that I keep the meaning to uh, mention, I, and I can't remember if it was Hamish uh, in a, the interview he did with um, Hal, the guy who used to run News Hub, or, or if it was somebody he was quoting, but he was talking about the, no, the idea that there might be some sort of uh, barrier to people taking more than two or three or five or even just one substep, substep, subscription. And whoever it was was saying, we want to kind of change that notion that the, that all you should spend on your media is you know three or four subscriptions. Maybe it would be a good idea to say the I value media enough that I'm going to spend a hundred or two hundred a month on these things, so that these people will flourish. Now, if that can happen, I think that maybe it possibly raises the possibility that. Um, that kind of intrepid journalism could take place. I don't know. So, like we've already been saying, there's a lot that's unknown about this, and a lot in flux, and 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 a lot of imponderable. But I think that I, I think it's a really strong point, encouraging people to see that what the to see that the amount they spend on media might be more, and it might be warranted. Yeah. Does that? Do you think that? begins to influence what you're writing as well. I, I'm just thinking about like fundraising models and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe someone uh, like the Green Party would be a really good example of this where, you know, they've got uh, probably the people who give them the donations uh, are a particular subset of New Zealand society. Uh, mm-hmm. And so a lot of their uh, donation asks tend to be couched in a particular way. Um, mm-hmm. But also it feels like that leaks sometimes into the actions of the party as well, because they know where the money's coming from. It's something yeah. that like I'm always considering you know, as an organization that takes donations uh, is I don't want anything that's too big. I don't want anyone to have right. that kind of financial, the ability to, to put that financial pressure on me. Do, oh, do you see right. that as being uh, something that Substack can get past? Yeah, well, I did talk earlier about that, that question of self-censorship and, and, and the writer who encourages her detractors to write yeah. pieces. Um, it, it's, it's for sure a hazard. And, uh, and it's, you're right about the huge political hazard, you know what I mean? Um, who knew the New Zealand First Party was so interested in fisheries policy and property? <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> you really couldn't track the donations by the policy <laughs> Um, I think the answer is the bigger you get, you know, the bigger the subscriber base, the more latitude you're likely to yeah. feel. You know, if you lose a subscriber and you only have a few, you're, it's going to be the end of the world. If you have 10,000 and one leaves, that's just tiny churn, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I've done a, um, for years and years, I've had this relationship with a newspaper publisher in Mexico who has been this uh, advocate for freedom of the press and free speech. And 
I've never grown tired of telling his story, which was essentially they, everybody, there was every reason for their paper not to succeed because they were printing the truth without fear or favour, and that's a bold thing to do in Mexico. But because they were, people happily paid to see their newspaper, and they just got bigger and bigger because they were printing what nobody else would let them see. And, you know, I think there's your model, really. If you print what nobody else is, is, is willing to see and, and willing to print and, and what people really want to see, you've, um, you've got strength. I think and you've seen a lot of evidence of that as well in terms of, you know, bigots um, tapping into that feeling. Um, right. At, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that Vinnie and Lee Williams phenomenon, do you mean? Of, of, yeah, of, yeah, sure. Of, of um, bad actors. Yeah, hijacking it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, but it, it shows that 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 exists. It's just yeah. there's no other media outlet that, and maybe it's a an anti-authority thing or, or counter-authority thing. There's no one that whatever, whatever their audience is. You know, maybe they are all racists, but people kind of go on the conspiracy slide from somewhere, right? Yeah, they, right. they start at yeah. the top. Um, yeah, true. And they haven't found an outlet for that where they're like, this, these people are saying things that no one says um, yeah. in New Zealand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess like any medium, I mean, any, any, uh, someone with, with terrible opinions can use any medium to, to get a following, especially if that following has an ultra specific agenda. Uh, like say white supremacy where like <laughs> you really are not going to be able to find that anywhere else. I mean, it's, it's not going to be necessarily a big audience, but I guess if you can sort of rally people around also, you're writing, you know, it's not, it won't always be white supremacy either. Right. Um, it would be yeah, it in different be ways. There'll be, there'll be yeah. entry level things um, yeah, yeah. where they're not talking about it um, specifically, you know, yeah. um, that's what the whole, uh, you know, right. All right. Pipeline was about. Um, yeah, you go and watch some Joe Rogan. Um, but see, those people, they, they have money, you know, like it's like they, they don't, they're not really that dependent, I think, on things like Substack subscriptions, because often, at least in the US and, and, and the UK. Oh, sorry, the people themselves are, I'm talking about the audience. Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they have, they have pretty huge platforms. I mean, they have every advantage in the world, money that's backing them, an algorithm yeah, right. that sends people yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really more insane uh, directions and, and YouTube and stuff. But yeah. I kind of wonder if, you know, the whole question of limiting uh, speech might not be equally rather than the, the hate speech uh, avenue we've been following on such, yeah. <laughs> through such fraught journeys uh, might be more fruitfully explored along the lines that you have consumer protection and um, uh, bank protection where there, there are a whole lot of fraud controls in our commerce that prohibit you from speaking what uh, financial lies essentially. And I don't know, I think there's a model there for um, picking up this policing question and saying, if you lie, if you spread falsehoods that serve to undermine the interests of us all is that a kind of fraud is that a fraud that could be prosecuted i don't know uh, you know um we have a duty to one another not to steal or undermine or dispossess 
And what you potentially do by spreading lies about vaccines, for example, is a kind of fraud. And I don't know. I, I think maybe there's a... And when, when we ask that question, how does this... Might this get released and how it might... If, and if, if you were okay with that, how might it get released? Maybe this kind of whole idea of fraud on people is a fruitful way to explore it. I don't know. It's, um, mm. Yeah. It's a tough one. I mean, to give the, the civil liberties argument, uh, you know, I, I think about when WikiLeaks was putting out some of its uh, stuff back in, I think, 2010, 2011, and it was, you know, it released the Iraq right. war logs and, yeah. um, and then the, the diplomatic uh, uh, papers, the, the thousands of diplomatic papers that Chelsea Manning leaked to them. And there was this push to, you know, PayPal, for instance, cut its um, cut off the WikiLeaks being able to use its platform to, to get money, to get donations yeah. Yeah. Um, because it was, it was pushed by the U S government. They basically said, you know, you have to get them off this because we don't want them to, to survive. And so, you know, on the other hand, yeah, I get, it always comes down to who has power for me, who has power in society. And right. when yeah. you have those rules in place, um, who's going to be able to use them and who, who is going to decide what is, truth and what isn't because i mean i completely agree of course the vaccine stuff is is you know of course that's outright misinformation and it's and it is a fraud but there are many things that i have heard <laughs> labeled fraudulent uh that, yeah, that right. happen to just be more politically inconvenient right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, a tough, yeah. it's a tough one i don't you know i mean uh, yeah I, I hate to sound like a libertarian and say you know in the marketplace of ideas go and vote for act it's simple sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not always that simple. But I mean, I think there has to be, I think we have to look at why certain things get more exposure uh, yeah. and, and whether yeah. there's something in, in some of these algorithms that, that leads them to to get more exposure than, than necessarily they deserve and why other things sort of get suppressed. But yeah, you know, I mean, I it's, think a, it's a tough one. From my perspective, is it, is it, it's a systems issue and it's a civic society yeah. issue. And unless you solve those issues at a base level, any, any policing aspects or any further power to state or, or corporate entities um, will just be used against um, voices that don't want to be heard, often more so than directly dangerous voices. Um, I think in a way I'm a lawyer trying to uh, drag things back into the court, you know, because <laughs> um, as Branko says, you know, you, you see large entities like PayPal becoming the judge and jury and you think, this doesn't feel quite right. You know, you, you kind of, if it happens to suit you that the, these, these, the, the, this, this entity gets um, uh, deplatformed, then that's great. But the great, you know, we have a judicial system for the reason that of all the, the, reason, the ways we've tried to figure out how to sort out our differences, a judicial, a court with laws that everybody has applied to them equally feels like the best way to resolve yeah. this. And, and, and so, you know, into court to say, well, what is fraud exactly? Well, it's our common, uh, you know, our accumulation of decisions says it's this or it's this, or this is how it works, you know? And it, that gives you some kind of confidence that we're in some kind of broad agreement. And in fact, you know, not to deep dive into it in any depth but the a lot of the uh, debate about hate speech is kind of missing that we already have law pertaining to it and the, and the courts have an, an established method of saying well this this broad word means this you know um 
And the same would apply with the new legislation. And to suddenly lose all confidence in the court's ability to do that is, is, is kind, of, kind of discouraging, really. <laughs> do you know what they've been doing all this time, bro? <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. Um, I think the hate speech stuff hasn't been helped by some of the discourse around it either, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah. Both from the media and from politicians who either can't answer um, specifics or choose to also misinform. Um, oh, it's true. I think Chris Farfoy, um was unable to do what he should have been able to do on News Hub last week because, ironically, journalists were pushing him with journalist questions and he was a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> so he, did, he wasn't thinking like a lawyer who would, who would say, well, you know, this is how it works. Um, I don't, I, that's not to disparage him. But I, I'll disparage you know, him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was it was really damaging to the whole conversation, yeah. right? Like, oh, it was. if you're yeah. a, if you're the minister, you need you need to be prepared. You need you need to. You do. And, and if if he can't answer, it, just say I can't answer that right now. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, That's like, right. or, or don't take the interview. <laughs> <There's> that. <laughs> I, personally, yeah. I think the the whole hate speech law issue is is about being seen to be doing something in response uh, to, to what happened in Christchurch. Um, but I mean, the, the, you know, the, the way to actually deal with it, to, to, to take on this stuff, white supremacy and, 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 you know, violent people, it's a lot more difficult and complicated than just sort of, well, we're just going to pass a law that says this is not on. And then that's it. I mean, you know, do we have to get to the root of why it is? I thought you just needed a hashtag. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I think that's, that's what ultimately is. I mean, and also, I mean, you know, there's so many things that could have been done um, in response to Christchurch to, to, to really show solidarity with, with those communities that were, were um, attacked that wouldn't involve, you know, necessarily any potential for, for undue censorship. You know, things like, say, uh, overhauling our immigration laws that are, quite discriminatory and, and really unfair yeah, yeah. And, and Byzantine. And, and it's uh, become worse under COVID. Bec- yes, much worse. Right. Uh, you know, or, or uh, I mean, what was the story that we just saw the other day about uh, the government refusing to, I mean, it's not funny. It's just, it's unbelievable that they wouldn't give uh, ACC, they wouldn't give mental health coverage oh, Jesus. Yeah. to the victims. I mean, just bare minimum stuff. But, you know, I mean, you can, by, by declining to do that and then pushing this stuff instead, you can sort of very vocally posture in public, hey, look, we are doing something, look at what we're doing. But, you know, not doing the stuff that actually would have a really positive impact on, on the people that were affected um, because you find that unpalatable for whatever, you know, whatever ideological reason that might uh, be. It's actually a budgetary reason though, Branko. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> this is the thing, right? They're, they're able to, when it suits make excuses around like, oh, we don't have the money. Oh, what did they say about ACC? Um, oh, but then we'd have to pay everyone out for uh, t- mental trauma. Which I, I believe the like, story established that that's not true, right? They, they, uh, actually, it's, it's, it's not true, but also great. Yeah, like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. Well, and, and furthermore, you know, it, it's always the, the prerogative of the government um, to say, this is an exception, and um, we deem it an exception. You cannot take it as a president. Um, 
if you take it as precedent, you are wrong. Yeah, and, and, they have and, and you can make a law if necessary that sets yeah. that out because you're, you're paramount. Well, so I think you know the the paper that Ian Lee's Galloway originally brought to cabinet was basically saying that this this doesn't have to be precedent setting. We can do yeah, right. a one time carve out, and yeah, yeah. and yeah. the way that Labour they've done a, a very horrible thing um, in the way that they've um, then tried to claim that it's a precedent on the back of saying it's an expectation, um, which is, is really, really dirty. Um, mm. But they've managed to like play that off. So people yeah. are now more often saying, oh, but we could just have it mental health. Um, and then, then they labor immediately able to say, oh, but we don't have the money for that. And you know, all of this is untrue. Um, That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is going to make it into the movie. I have a feeling that they're going to keep <laughs> this one out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I want to ask you one question. It's a little bit, um, it's adjacent to what we're talking about, not, not completely on the topic, but I'm curious what you think about the, like what stuff has done, because I don't know the, the exact details of what they've actually done, but supposedly they moved away from their previous model, you know, since, since COVID created this economic disruption. And they, they say, I mean, things are better than ever. They're, they're actually, you know, they're not, they're not chasing these cheap clicks or any of this other stuff. And they're doing, you know, better work than ever. And it's, and it's working out. I mean, what's your perspective? That, that's what the, you know, the, the, the head of stuff has said, obviously uh, vested interest to, to paint things in as, as rosy a picture as possible. But, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Let me start with the most jaundiced one, which is that's not what they were bloody saying when they chucked all of us freelancers overboard at the first sign of danger on the first day of pandemic. Um, still better. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it does feel as though there, uh, uh, there, there is in having New Zealand control a different direction, and and I, I, I think it's real. Um, I'm not sure how substantial it can be in total because there's still a kind of an instinct that I see in certain of their columnists to write stuff that is um, small and mediocre and that's discouraging. I, th I think that there is a, a genuine uh, intention to recognise what's happened over all the time they've been publishing to Tug Fenua, that's admirable. Um, it's a whole lot easier to say it than to do it, but there does seem to be a genuine effort, and you know, got to applaud that. But my er earlier point, I'm not sure if you're here at this point or not, Branko, was that you know, I see where I was talking about that 1984 thing and the idea of the, the lumbering organization versus a server and mm -hmm. a uh, just a, a, a computer server and writers. I, I really prefer that as a model and and they're not in that uh, situation at all. And so there's this need to tune stuff out that is maybe more pleasing to a, a clicking kind of audience, you know. And so you you don't entirely solve the problem if you're still trying to feed such a huge beast you notionally could have um, a setup where more people are resourced to do the kind of thing that just a few are resourced at the moment. 
I don't know. Am I saying the jury is out? Maybe. Mm. Uh, but I just don't have the feeling that there's the face of the new century <laughs> in what they're doing, you know? Right. Uh, there's a lot. So of it, it's not complete PR bullshit, but maybe it's over optimistic perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not a pig, but there's definitely a bit of lipstick there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, well, we'll, we'll just um, get towards tying things up, David, but where, where do you think, see things going from here? Where, where is there hope or optimism? Um, uh, especially in the well, New Zealand context. Yeah. I, I genuinely get the feeling that there is, you know, I'm just talking selfishly here um, about Substack only, and that, that there is real momentum for that. And, and I'm seeing, a, you know, gathering interest every week in signing up to these things. And that makes me feel optimistic because I think there's latitude for really fresh and good writing under this model. And that's what matters to me most, actually. Decent writing with good insight and people bringing me stuff I didn't know. And, and I think this is a good model for it to happen more. And, you know, we've got huge possibility, you know, all over with how we could transform to meet the climate crisis and in doing it, transform the way we live. And that, that's really bloody great. And yet, we're, we're being presented with a, a kind of grudging scenario that says, oh, God, I might not be able to drive my fucking ute, you know? And that, that, that's kind of, it feels like steadfastly seeking defeat in the face of the jaws of victory, you know? Mm. And so any kind of remaking in a large way of the perspective on the world that, that says, we have so many possibilities to make things right for people. What the fuck are we doing? Um, or alternatively, can you not? Can you can you believe how cool this is? Let's get going on it. You know, either of those approaches suit me just fine, and I, and and let those let those approaches flourish is what I'm looking for. And I suspect, yeah, maybe this is the answer I was trying to find before uh, to the question about stuff. You know maybe needs a whole different media landscape for those kinds of perspectives to flourish and, and to be able to excite people. Um, yeah. Um, I was going to say, where do you, cause there really is a critical mass issue here, right? Where yeah. at the moment, politicians and media are creating the environment in which these narratives flourish or die. Mm. Um, at, at what point do you think the tipping point might come where you're like, okay, the critical mass now exists and these stories can really take off. You're asking you to do some somewhere, prophecy here. <laughs> yeah, somewhere along the same, around the same time that they make the last ICE car, you know, there, there, there's something really profound about that shift out of what was familiar into something new. And, and that's just, you know, three, five years away. Um, I'm not saying it's going to take that long, but um, it would, that would absolutely be a tipping point because the, the sense of the world that's around us would be, you know, substantially remade potentially maybe more if it was e-bikes rather than e-vehicles actually as it happens i'm writing a sub stack for tomorrow on that very point 
Very good sneaky promotion there. Yeah. <laughs> Always be closing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, I, we appreciate the hustle. Hey, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, joining us today, David. My pleasure. Cheers, guys. All right. If you've enjoyed that um, conversation with David Slack about uh, Substack predominantly um, <laughs> and other um, media outlets and, and systems, uh, give us a share. Follow us on one of 200.nz. You can find our articles, podcast, live stream, all on there. Um, and jump over to our Patreon if you want to give us a few dollars to help uh, keep producing independent media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams. Is the lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams. Is the lie aspirational? Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism